For those who don't know me, my name's uh, Tim Froze. I'm the site pastor here at Every Nation Vancouver. Um, and uh, it's my pleasure to, to bring the message tonight. Uh, we've been, sorry, this afternoon. We, we've been going through our series on miracles the last number of weeks. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's been, it's been a really encouraging series. Um, my, I, I feel like my, my faith has been challenged through it. And, uh, and it's just been really encouraging. And so I hope that's, that's been the case for you. Um, today, we're going to be diving into the story of the miracle of raising Lazarus to life. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun passage, and, the, and it's, it's got some, like, challenge in it um, at the beginning that's, that's kind of difficult to, to, to work through, I, I, I found. So, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through, actually going to read the whole section of, of John uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through to 45. So uh, if you want, you can follow along with me. I know there's some Bibles in the pews in front of you. Um, it's, it's actually not going to be on screen, so... Um, so you can pull it up in your Bible or on your phone. Um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation today. Um, it's, so, John 11, verses 1 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with, with ointments and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So I don't know what catches your thoughts and your attention as we, as we read through that. Um, for me... I get caught uh, at the beginning on the whole issue of the delay, the, the delay that Jesus takes in, in going. Um, it, it, the, the whole chapter, it starts with, with Mary and Martha. They send word to Jesus that their brother is ill. And they, they don't officially ask him to come, but you, you figure that knowing what they know about Jesus, that there's, there's sort of this implied plea for help in there, or, or at least like a, like a hope that Jesus would, would come when he, when he finds out what's going on. And, and probably Lazarus is pretty ill, right? I mean, we know from later that he was, but, but even at this point in, in the, the narrative, you know, you got to figure he probably is because why, why would you send word to Jesus unless it was such a serious illness that you probably, like that Jesus was probably the only one that could help. So the implication of the message for Jesus and his disciples and that they probably realized is, is that Lazarus was super ill, so much so that the only person the sisters figured could help their brother was Jesus. And, and then Jesus responds with, with something at, 
at first glance that seems maybe a little bit accurate, and then at second glance kind of raises some troubling questions. So, uh, so he, the first thing he says, he says that this illness does not lead to death, except that we've read ahead and we know that it did, right? So, so then what's that about? And, and then he says that it's, it's for the, the glory of God, which raises this uncomfortable question. Is God okay with someone suffering and dying if God is glorified through it? That's a, that's a tricky question, isn't it? Um, and, 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 if, and if that's true, right, like if that were to be true, then it starts to raise then other questions like, you know, are we just pawns for God to shuffle around on the board as needed for whatever is most glorifying for him? And, and, if, and if God is okay with the, the suffering that way, like how, how is it loving of God to be okay with our suffering? I mean, that, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable to think about that. And I, and I start to wonder, like, is, is that really loving? And, and thankfully, like at this point, in the narrative that like maybe John anticipates, you know, the question that we start to wonder there, because then, because, because John's in the very next verse, he says, tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so there's this moment where like, oh, <laughs> I was starting to wonder, right? Like, like it's a, it's a relief. Good. Uh, he does love them. And we have that second of reprieve. And then we're right back into the next verse where then we find out that, that Jesus, after hearing of this concern for Lazarus' illness, we're told he decided to spend two more days in the place where he was. Two more days. What? How is that love? Like, we want to we wanna ask, Jesus, you heard that your friend, someone you love, is ill, and that you're probably the only one who can help, so it seems kind of urgent, and then you decided to wait two more days. The, the rescuer parent inside of me has such a hard time with that. Um, my daughter, Myra, once texted me in grade eight that her science teacher was showing them an R-rated horror movie during class, I was on the phone in minutes with the vice principal. In minutes, I was ready to drop everything to drive to the school and pull her out. Uh, is there an urgent problem in the lives of those closest to me? In my mind, love looks like dropping everything to run and solve it. And so, may, like maybe, like is maybe my my gut reaction is is wrong on that. By the beginning of this chapter, it makes me wonder, right, if, if, if Jesus is okay with suffering. And this, this makes me uncomfortable. Uh, it raises the question about, about what's, what's really loving. Um, is, there, is there something that, that Jesus understands about what's going on 
uh, that, that he understands about suffering and love that I don't understand, that he seems to be comfortable with this, and that I'm not. Um, so eventually, Jesus does decide to go, and in the conversation with his disciples about it, we learn two things. Um, first, uh, that there may be some practical reasons to be concerned about going back, because the last time that he was in Bethany, the Jews there tried to stone him. So, uh, so it's an area that's, that's been hostile to Jesus, and so then, you know, was, was that a factor in his delay? But then we also, we learn that Lazarus has now died, which takes us back to our earlier issue of Jesus saying that, that this illness doesn't lead to death. Because, didn't it? I mean, it, it kind of did. If in that moment, now Lazarus has died. So, what's going on for Jesus and what he said, and what he said earlier, that he can say that this illness doesn't lead to death? Because it, it seems like maybe it did, right? Like, yeah. Um, so, then they, so then they set out for Bethany, he and the disciples, and by the time they get there, we're told Lazarus has now been dead for four days. And, and we're intentionally told this because, uh, because there seems to be rabbinical evidence from rabbinical writings of the time that uh, they thought that a person's soul kind of hung around a dead body for a couple days afterwards, sort of like waiting to see, like, is this really going to take? Um, and, then, and then by the third and for sure the fourth day, like, then, then that was gone. That, that by, for sure by the fourth day, any infinitesimal fraction of an amount of hope that there'd ever been after the person died was completely gone. That there's, there's no longer any hope. That person is deader than dead. And so Jesus arrives at that point, in, in this moment, when, when there is absolutely no hope remaining. And Martha hears that he's arrived, and so she goes out to meet him, and she says these words that express both faith and also express sadness and disappointment. When she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's so hard. And then, and then Mary, when she goes to see him, she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And friends, I think that these sisters express words and emotion that we've probably all thought or felt or said at one time. Lord, if you had been here, my dad would not have died. Lord, if you had come and done something, my brother-in-law would not have been killed. Lord, I have read of your miracles. I've seen you do them before. But you didn't come 
and do this one, this time, for this person that I love, and I don't know why, and that's really hard for me. Lord, I love you. I think maybe you love me, but I feel let down by you because I asked for your help. Only you could help, but you didn't. And I want to believe, but I don't know what to do with this grief and with this hurt and with this disappointment that I'm left with. And I've felt and thought and said these statements over the years. I, I thought them and felt them and, and said them 16 years ago when my brother-in-law was killed. I felt them all over again two years ago when my father-in-law died uh, so quickly of cancer. I've said them when I've struggled through other hard experiences. Lord, if you had been there, if you'd done something, this wouldn't have happened. And so then, so then what I love about this passage is that Jesus meets Martha and Mary in their grief around this question. That, that Jesus even weeps with them in their grief about this. And, and this, I, I think this is so helpful to remember, to know that Jesus is with us in our grief, that he's with us in our struggles, he's with us in our suffering, he's with us in the hard things that we're going through, that he, that he loves us, that his love is true, that it's sure, and that he is with us. Like it says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He loves us, and he is with us. And even more than this, I realize that when I make the statement, Lord, if you'd been here, this would not have happened, that I think that I'm, that I'm also uh, missing a bigger picture of something that God is doing. That, that, uh, that my, like my eyes are, are, are too focused on something and, I, and I'm, I, that I'm missing the view of Jesus that, and, and that my view of Jesus and my view of God are, are, are maybe too small. Like, like Jonathan said in his sermon a couple of weeks ago about uh, Peter on the, on the water, that I've, that I've got my, my eyes on the waves instead of on Jesus. And thankfully... Jesus doesn't, he doesn't belittle us in our grief. He doesn't begrudge us our struggle. Um, he doesn't make us feel small when we're going through these hard things and we can't see the bigger picture that, that he comes and meets us just like he did with Mary and Martha. He comes and he meets us just like when Peter was sinking in the water. He comes and he meets us. He doesn't leave us there in our struggle. He doesn't leave us in our suffering. He doesn't ignore us. And he wants us to see a bigger picture of what he's doing. He wants to call us to faith, even in those moments. And so then, this leads us to what I think is the, the great climax to our passage. 
And I don't think that the climax is the moment that Jesus raises Lazarus. Don't get me wrong. That's super awesome. Raising, raising a guy to life is super cool. I've never seen that. It'd be fun. It's, it's super cool. That's a powerful miracle. Raising this guy back to life after four days, that's, that's important. That's significant. But the bigger thing that's going on is what he says here in the rest of his conversation with Martha. That, that the raising of, of Lazarus is a foreshadowing and a proof of what he says here. And so Jesus has this this powerful exchange with Martha where where she expresses a level of faith in Jesus still. Um, That that even now God will give Jesus whatever he asks and, and Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. She's showing a level of faith in Jesus that on one hand is great and on the other hand is limited because she sees resurrection as a far off thing. She sees it as something that Lazarus is now waiting for. She sees it as something that she is waiting for, that it's something that's far off. And then Jesus makes the statement of all statements And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the mic drop. This is the bigger thing that Jesus is doing. The bigger thing that he knows and that he sees uh, that the other, that that others are struggling to see and that I think that we struggle to see. That the thing we struggle to see is that Jesus is life. Not merely far off and after death. Jesus is life right now. Right there, standing in front of Martha with her in her presence. Right here, right now with us in our presence. Jesus was life incarnate, standing there with Martha to help her and Mary and his disciples uh, see, uh, like see and understand who he really is. And, and to prove this, he raises Lazarus. He does it as a sign and a proof uh, to, to show his authority over death, to show how much he is life, that even in the darkest moment when it seems entirely impossible, that Jesus is still life. But that miracle was only temporary for Lazarus because Lazarus still died again. That body anyways. But that Jesus is life in even a better way, in even a greater way than that, And so what Jesus is saying to Martha and what he says to us is that he is life. Now and always. He he shows us in two ways. First, that he is life after death. That, That whoever believes in Jesus, for anyone who believes in Jesus, this life is not the end. That in Jesus, death is merely a doorway. It's a transition to the next life, into the resurrected life in Christ. 
Paul talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians 5. He describes our body as a tent, that we're just living in tents here. This is a tent, and that our true home is with Christ after death, that that's where our permanent home is, that this is temporary. And Philippians, uh, he talks again about his, about his own longing to be finished here, to be finished in the, in the body so that, that he can be in fullness with Christ that in Christ, death is not the end for us. And there's this, this illustration that, uh, that Francis Chan uses, and you're probably wondering why I have a rope here. Um, so I've got this, this long rope. This, you can see it goes on all the way over there and out the door into infinity. Um, this little part here on the end, this little white tape part, you see, it's a nice blue rope. Little white tape part on the end. Uh, this whole rope, this is your life. This whole rope, this is your life. This part right here, this is the maybe 100 to 120 years, if you're really blessed, that you're alive here in this body. Um, and most of the time, we are thinking about this part right here. Most of the time, our eyes are focused on this. We're making decisions mostly based on this part right here. Um, and Jesus wants us to think of our lives in terms of all of this length. He wants us to see the bigger picture, that, that our death here, right at the end of this white part, our death here is not the end. It's a doorway into what's next with him. That, that, that here, our faith becomes sight. When we go through that doorway, our faith becomes sight, and we shall be more alive with him then than we have been at any point in our lives here. So much so that Paul says with confidence in Romans 8.18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That, that our struggles here are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us there with Christ. That what is going on here, it's, it's, it's just so small compared to the grandeur of what's going on there. And that, that's not to belittle it because it's, 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 it's real. It's, it, is, it is important. And there's more going on for us to think through. And so this, this is what one of the things Jesus is trying to, to get through uh, to, to Martha that he's trying to get through to us. But then the second thing that he talks about um, is that our life now extends forever. That the resurrected life eternal is not something only promised to the future, but that the one who lives and believes in Jesus now shall never die. That when we put our trust in Jesus now, our resurrected life in him begins now. Jesus isn't saying that if we believe in him that these bodies will never die. They will someday cease to work. I'm getting older. I'm reminded of that in many ways as I go along. This, this body that you guys see me in, it's, it's going to cease to work someday. 
but that when we are in Christ, when we've already died to ourselves, when, and when we truly die to ourselves, that that's the part that really needed to die anyways. And that our, that our new life then has already begun in Christ. When, we, when we're baptized, we die to our old self and we rise to new life in Christ is the image there. Uh, Paul describes in Romans 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Jesus says uh, something like this too in, in, in Luke 9, 23 to 24. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. When we've already given up our lives to Christ, when we've already died to our old self, that's the part we needed to let go of anyways. And so new life has already begun in him. So if you are in Christ today, you are already living the new life that is to come. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he is the resurrected life in you today. And so this then is why his waiting that he did at the beginning of our chapter, when he took his time. This is why his waiting is still loving. Because Lazarus didn't need to be brought back to life for his own sake. Because in Christ, Lazarus was already alive, even, even more alive. Jesus raised him to life to show that Jesus is life, that his, that his authority over death is complete, that, that the miracle is a sign of the reality of the life in Jesus, that the miracle is to build faith in Jesus for who he really is. And he does it because he loves us, that, that he, he meets us uh, in our suffering, even when we don't see the bigger picture. Jesus shows compassion on us when we don't see what's, what's the bigger reality of what's going on because he loves us and because suffering is part of the fall and not of the blessing. And so he, so he did and he still does miracles to help us. But it's to, they're, to, they're to build our faith. They're to show us the bigger reality of who he is. And the bigger picture is that, is that those things, that the suffering and even the, the result of the miracle are only temporary when we're in Christ because there is more and better to come. And so I give this next illustration uh, with uh, humility because Charlotte did all the hard work, not me. But it's, but it's that, our, that I think our temporary suffering um, is, is in, it's a similar, it's similar to pregnancy and to birth. Um, because it was for, for love and the expected life that Charlotte endured nine months of pregnancy. 
And for her, this was super hard. Both times, super hard. She was super sick and super uncomfortable um, all the way through. There wasn't like, you know, there was sometimes, you know, they talk about a reprieve. There was no reprieve. She was sick and uncomfortable all the way through. And labor and delivery were super hard. And both ended with unpleasant surgeries and recoveries afterwards. And I, know, and I realize I'm, I'm ill-qualified to describe it because she went through it and not me. But she did go through it. And she went through it twice because she knew the life and the love that was there, that was to come, that the life to come and the love to come, even in the midst of her suffering, was even greater than the suffering that she was experiencing. And so suffering wasn't unloving because the life that came about far outweighed the suffering and struggle that was temporary. And I think that it's, it's, this, it's the same for our lives, that, that, our, that our, our struggle and our suffering here are outweighed by the glory that is to come, by the life and the love that is to come, and the, and the life that we experience and the love that we get to experience even now as, as, as Jesus, who is the life, comes into our lives. That this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 8, the future life outweighs our present struggle. The future glory outweighs our present struggle. And it's, and it's so hard, though, to remember this in the midst of struggle and in the midst of suffering. Because our, our hurt can feel overwhelming at times. And it can be so easy to keep our focus on the short part of the rope rather than on the long part. Because this is real. Because our struggle is real. And so it's easy to be overwhelmed in our short-term struggle rather than to have our eyes fixed on the long-term life and love. And I share this today not because I'm so good at keeping my eyes fixed on what's ahead. I'm not so good at having my eyes fixed on Jesus that, that my mind and my heart need to hear this truth as much or more than any of you here. I'm, I'm like Martha. I, I believe and I see in part, and yet I struggle to see the bigger picture far too often. And so then in his mercy, God gives me friends and mentors that see this truth so much better than I. And I, I remember when my father-in-law got sick and the, the, the example of faith that he set for us in that moment of, of recognizing that, that his life here, that his, his, his body here was just a tent and that, was a, that what was coming for him that the home that he had in Jesus, that he, was, that he was going home and that he had his eyes fixed on Jesus and understood that reality and set an example of truth for us even through his suffering. And much of the time when I'm asking for help or I'm asking for a miracle, I realize that what I'm often asking for 
is, to go, is for God to make life better on my terms. That I'm, I'm tired of the discomfort. I'm tired for the discomfort of another. And so, so then I want God to intervene so that my life can be a little bit more comfortable on my terms. And I realize that's not faith. I'm just, I'm just being selfish. When I think that way, I'm, I'm treating God like a grand genie whose main purpose is to make my life more comfortable. And that is not the gospel. That is, that is not faith. That is not the purpose of a miracle. And so Jesus wants to build my faith, and he wants to build your faith. He meets us in our struggle, and he calls us to this bigger reality of faith, the bigger thing that, that, the, that the miracle is pointing to and that Jesus is pointing to. And so he invites me, and I think he invites you, to embrace the miracle of a bigger reality, the miracle that Jesus is life. Life now, even in the midst of our struggle and in the midst of our suffering, life now in the midst of our hardship and life forever beyond suffering in his presence with him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And what difference then does that make for you? Because the invitation is for it to make all the difference in the world. For how we live, for how we approach our lives, for the decisions that we make, the choices that we make. The invitation is for it to make all the difference in the world. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close in prayer here. Um, but I, I think this is what, what Jesus is inviting us to think about, is to have our eyes fixed on him. That, that in, the, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our hardship, to experience his presence with us, and to realize the faith that he's inviting us into for more, so that we are able to make choices and live our lives in light of him and in light of the reality that he is life in us right now. So would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, I am so thankful that you are life. Not, not simply life far away, not simply resurrection life far away, but that you are the resurrection and the life in our lives today, in this moment, in the things that we're facing, in what is hard, in what is a struggle, in our, in our sadness, in our grief, in our anger, in our frustration. Jesus, you are life. 
and you have you have more of life for us than we have realized in the in the future but also in the here and now and so lord would you um, would you empower us by your spirit to have eyes that are fixed on you eyes that can see a reality bigger than just um, than just our present struggle eyes that see a bigger reality than just the short-term thing that's going on so that we are able to make decisions in light of you in light of who you are lord fill us with your spirit to live in the light of your life and your reality we pray in jesus name amen